And if you turn in your Bibles to Psalm 127, that's page 623 in a church Bible or 968 in a large print Bible. Psalm 127. Well, a number of years ago, on Father's Day, I received the best present that I've had since I turned 18 and stopped getting good Christmas presents and birthday presents, really. Um, My wife bought me for Father's Day a Lego pirate ship, okay, a Lego pirate ship. And when I went to work uh, the next day, people said to me, Steve, what did you get for Father's Day? And I said, I got a Lego pirate ship. And there was two reactions. Most of the women that I told this to said to me, how old are you? A Lego pirate ship. And most of the guys said, best wife ever. (laughs) (laughs) And I got this pirate ship and I was thrilled because I love playing with Lego. In fact, I can relive my childhood now through my children. But I built this pirate ship. And I don't know if any of you have seen the Lego movie, but if you have, you'll get what I mean here. I am that dad. The dad in the Lego movie does not want his kids to play with his Lego. He builds it, and he has it in his uh, man cave, I guess, and when his child comes down to see the Lego and wants to play with it, the dad just says, no. He's got signs all around saying, don't touch this. Um, And uh, yeah, I I am that dad. I was that dad. And I built this ship, and I spent a a number of hours, because it was quite a big pirate ship from Pirates of the Caribbean or something like that, and I spent ages building it. And I put it on a shelf. And for a a whole year, it was on the shelf. And for a whole year, my kids were asking me, Dad, can we play with your pirate ship? And I was like, no way. That pirate ship is Dad's pirate ship. That's my Lego. That's on the shelf. I've spent time building this. No way. Then we moved house. And it came down off the shelf. And I finally relented and said, OK, kids, you can play with the pirate ship. Partly, I think, to keep them quiet (laughs) while we were moving. I built that ship in vain. <laughs> but it wasn't because that they broke it that I built it in vain. It, is not, it was not God that was involved in any of my attitude in not sharing my pirate ship, was it? It was, it was wrong, and I built that ship in vain. But I wonder, what do you build your life on? Perhaps you build your life a little bit like my Lego pirate ship, just for yourself, for your own needs. Perhaps you build your life... Uh, Some of you may be going off to university. You build your life on your grades at school or your career. Perhaps some of you build your life on your bank balance. Or perhaps some of you build your life on what other people think about who you are and what you do and their praise and their thanks. But in our psalm today, we read that if anything we do is not dependent and not given to God... We build it in vain. It starts in Psalm Psalm 127. Unless the Lord builds the house, its builders labour in vain. And we see in this psalm the vanity of self-dependence. The vanity of self-dependence. Now this psalm, 127, is part of a group of psalms that are called 
pilgrim psalms or psalms of ascent. And the, the Israelites would sing them as they were going to Jerusalem for their festivals and their feasts. And like, like Psalm 72, which we looked at a couple of weeks ago, this psalm is attributed to King Solomon. But unlike Psalm 72, we're pretty sure, at least I'm pretty sure, that this one was definitely written by Solomon. Because it's similar in its style to the Proverbs and in the way it describes vanity to the book of Ecclesiastes, which we know Solomon wrote. And in Psalm 127, they are singing about the fact that God is sovereign. They are singing about the fact that without involving God in our endeavours, they are a complete waste of time. It is vanity. And in one sense, we can be depressed by this psalm because we can do good things, building a house, watching a city, working hard. These are not bad things in and of themselves. But if you're not involving the Lord, we realise they are in vain. And as we apply this to our lives, I want us to remember something important. We should not be simply involving God in our plans. We should be getting involved in God's plan. We should not be simply involving ourselves in, uh, involving God in our plans. We should be involving ourselves in his plan. It's easy, isn't it, to say, God, I want to do this and I want you to to help me do it. Whereas rather we should be saying, Lord, please show me what you want me to do with my life. Lord, I pray your will be done. I pray, Lord, that you would guide me, that you would direct me, that I would follow what you want me to do, rather than saying, Lord, help me to get what I want. And in our reading this morning, we saw a historical account of what this psalm is talking about. The builders of Babel built their tower. They built it in vain, didn't they? God came down, he confused their languages, and it was a waste of time. They couldn't continue the work. But in verse 26 of that passage, we read of the birth of Abraham, through whom God was going to build a house for himself. And it's interesting that what God was going to do with Abraham wasn't his parents' idea, It wasn't Abraham's plan. He didn't say, God, can you help me uh, to build a nation? God came to Abraham and God told Abraham what he was going to do and Abraham had to get with the program. And that's an example of what this psalm is talking about. Not us telling God to help us with what we want, but us being involved in what God has planned for us. So we see the vanity of self-dependence. And the first thing we see is uh, the, the, the absolute vanity when, of, of depending on ourselves in the first couple of verses. So let's read verses 1 to 2. It says, Unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labour in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the guards stand watch in vain. In vain you rise up early and stay up late, toiling for food, for he grants sleep to those he loves. Notice, the word vain occurs in every example here. It's not, un- it's not unless you involve the Lord, it's in vain. It's not unless you involve the Lord in the building, in the guarding, in the labour. It's unless the Lord actually does the work. So it's not about just involving him, unless the Lord builds the house. Unless the Lord is doing that action, it is in vain. Well, how does this work? Well, 
if we look at it in detail, we'll see. First of all, we see a house that is built. Now, this could apply to a physical house. A physical house that someone wants to build for themselves. In that sense, we are reliant on God in a number of ways. So first of all, if we're building a house, if I'm going to go out and and build one, I'm assuming that the divine laws of nature will continue to work for me, aren't I? I'm assuming that when I put a brick down, it's not going to float back up. That's an assumption that I make, and at the the moment, that's always been right. I'm assuming that I have the mental capacity to do the work. Now, I don't make that assumption because I haven't got a mental capacity to build a house. But God gives us what we need, doesn't he, to do building. And, or if it's not building, writing or standing here and talking and all those kind of things. We assume that God gives us those things. So in that sense, it's God who builds because God provides all the ability for us to do anything. But even if these assumptions are correct, which they are, unless the Lord builds the house, it's still in vain. Because that house that we build will not last forever. It will probably be sold eventually. It will certainly not last for all eternity. And the building projects may not fail without God. So my house might get, might get built. It might not fail, but it is futile. Because it won't last forever. And it will perish. But ultimately, and I think this is where Solomon goes uh, clearly in the book of Ecclesiastes. If I build my house, I may be successful. My house may be a big house, but it will never satisfy me. One of the key uh, phrases in the book of Ecclesiastes is one of my favourite in the Bible. He says, it's all vanity and grasping for the wind. When I teach that to children, I, I get them to try and do it. Try and grab the wind. You can't do so, can you? It's impossible. It's vanity. And there's a warning here. Not to spend our lives building our own houses without God. It's not to, our lives aren't to be spent getting better stuff. Better, better iPhones and iPads and consoles and stuff, stuff, stuff. The world tells us, doesn't it, that we need more stuff. We need to have more. We need more and more and more. We'll never be satisfied unless we get the latest this or that or the other. And you know the world is right. We'll never be satisfied. And every time they give us something else, there's something else to satisfy us more. That's why Solomon says, and Solomon, by the way, was a man who had more than any of us will ever have. He said it's vanity and it's grasping for the wind. There is no eternal value There is no satisfaction. It is futile to build our lives on stuff, to build our lives without the Lord. And as an encouragement to you, especially to our young people who are making decisions at the moment about where they're going, uh, what they're going to be doing. Go to God. Ask God what he wants you to do. Build your life on him. Otherwise, you'll end up just grasping for the wind. But the singing of the house goes much deeper than the futility of just building a physical house for ourselves. For this song was sung as they were going to Jerusalem. And Jerusalem was the place where God's house was, where the temple was. And unless God builds his house, his temple, the builders labour in vain. And it was Solomon, the psalmist here, 
who built the original temple? Or was it? His father, King David, actually bought all the materials to build the temple, and David wanted to build the temple himself. But God told David that he could not build it because of the amount of blood that he had shed in war. And he said to David that your son Solomon will build your house instead. And in 1 Chronicles, chapter 28, we read these words. All this, David said, I have in writing as a result of the Lord's hand on me, and he enabled me to understand the plan. David also said to Solomon, his son, be strong and courageous and do the work. Do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord God, my God, is with you. He will not fail you or forsake you until all the work for the service of the temple is finished. So God led David in the plans. He told him who would build it. And Solomon did so according to the specifications given to him and by the power of God in him. Who built the house? God built the house. God built the house. But the physical temple ended up being destroyed in the end because people rebelled against God. A house that God built was destroyed. But there is a house that God builds that will never be destroyed. You see, the same King David was told by God, you're not going to build a house for me. I'm going to build a house for you. And that house was not the temple. That house that God was talking to David about was his descendants. And he would have a kingdom, he said, that would never end. And his greater son, the greater king, Jesus, descended from David and brings a kingdom, we read, that never ends. The house of God is the church. A kingdom, a people that will be forever. And if we follow him, follow Jesus as our king, we are part of that greater kingdom of God. Jesus Christ said, didn't he, I will build my church. I will build. But how often we think we can build God's house on our own. I think the biggest way that we think we can build God's house on our own or we show our lack of self-dependence is by our lack of prayer. We can so easily be people that do, 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 do. And, 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 and it's good that we are actively involved in the work of the church, but we can be so busy, so busy that we don't spend time in prayer. And I'll tell you something this morning that might surprise you. You know, in, as a leader, I'm often wanting people to come and help out at one on six at Discoverers, in Sunday school, and all those kind of things. So it may surprise you to hear me say this, but I would rather someone come to me and say that they need to cut back on what they're doing in church in order to pray more. Okay, I would rather someone say, you know what, I'm, I'm doing so much, uh, so much that I, I, just, I, I, don't, I don't pray. I would say, go and pray. Go and pray. Now, there may be you need to look at your schedule a bit more. Sometimes we say we're really busy when actually we waste an awful lot of time. So the first thing I would say was let's look at how, how you're busy. But if, if it's true, I would rather you pray because I don't depend on you for any ministry in this church. I don't depend on me 
I don't depend on Tim. We depend on God. Unless the Lord builds his house, we labor in vain. And, and, you know, Satan can make us so busy in church. You know, Satan can make us busy doing godly things if it stops us from praying. You know, that's true. Because Satan knows how effective prayer is. We can be doing a good thing, but if it means we're not praying, the devil will just leave us alone. You know, our our prayer meetings on Sunday mornings and on Thursdays should be packed out. We should be rammed. When we looked at the the, the cursing of the temple, Jesus said that God's house is to be a house of prayer. It's the only program in the church prescribed by God, but it's often the least attended. We have to depend on God to do the work or we labour in vain and we show that dependence by prayer. But there's other ways that we are self-dependent too. Sometimes um, we, we think that in order for God's kingdom to grow and for more people to come into God's kingdom, we need to perhaps hold back on some truths of the gospel. Well, let, let's not talk about sin or I don't really want to tell my friends about God's wrath because if I tell them that, then they're not going to want to come. They're not going to be interested in God. We're depending on ourselves. Give, give people the Bible. Give them what the Bible says. Don't hide anything in the scriptures from anybody. All of it is good. All of it is from God. We depend on God, don't we? Or perhaps we depend on ourselves by not checking that what we do with our lives, um, it, we don't check with anybody else whether it's a good idea or not. We don't depend on each other. We don't, we don't help each other. We don't speak to each other. We're not accountable to each other. We just go in and do things without thinking about it. We need each other to help each other, to be accountable to each other, to advise each other. God gives us one another. Ultimately, and we'll see this throughout the psalm, the Lord builds his church through prayer and obedience. We pray and obey. Pray for the lost and obey the command to share the gospel with them. We depend on the Lord to build his house. We pray and obey. So unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labour in vain, but it goes on. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the guards stand in vain. Now at the time of this, um, that this was written, a city would, would close its gates at night and then watchmen would guard it from robbers coming in. And again, if we apply this to an actual city, we see how this is true. We, we can guard cities, can't we? And we do have security services which guard our towns and our cities and, and, uh, today, don't we? But it's God, ultimately, who is the one who controls everything. Unless the Lord's watching over it, it is in vain. And we've seen this. Empires have risen and fallen throughout all of history, haven't they? All through history. In the Bible, we see the fall of the Assyrians, the Babylonians, as well as the prediction of the fall of the empires such as the Greeks and and the Romans. And in our modern era, we have great big cities that God is the one that we rely on really to watch over. It's amazing, isn't it, how um, our security services rarely get praised, but if there's an attack, they get criticised. We don't know the amount of times that we've been saved um, by, from, from them watching over us because they, they can't share with us. And they must sometimes feel as though they work in vain because they get moaned at when, when something goes wrong, don't they? But, but so much um, we're perhaps protected from. But really, unless it's the Lord watching over, 
They labor in vain. Or they, they watch in vain. And as with the house, we can go a bit deeper. The pilgrims were going to Jerusalem, the city of God, where the temple was. And the capital city. And this city was destroyed many times by Babylonians, Romans, and later on by, over various centuries by various groups. But again, we can apply this to the church. Unless the Lord is watching over us, unless the Lord is guarding us, we can watch in vain, can't we? But what do we watch over or guard in the church? Well, we watch over church unity, don't we? We, we, we guard that. We want to protect that. It's important that uh, our, our church is united. But we can go about this the wrong way. Perhaps we can uh, avoid telling each other that we're wrong, that we've done something that's not right. We can hold back from that in order to keep unity. Well, that's not the Lord building or guarding the church. That's us relying on ourselves. We want to watch over the pulpit, don't we? Why is that important? Well, it's a protection from speaking uh, heresy and things that are wrong. But we can do that wrongly if we just criticise the preacher all the time or something like that. We watch over the testimony of the church on the outside world. That's good. It honours Jesus. But if we compromise the truth in order to do that, we rely on ourselves, don't we? We watch over each other. And we, it's important because our love for one another shows Jesus, but oftentimes we do that by giving our own thoughts rather than pointing each other back to the Bible. Unless the Lord watches over our church, we watch in vain. And again, we pray and obey. We pray for that unity, but we obey the command to submit to one another in grace and love. We, we pray for protection in the pulpit, but we obey the command to study the scriptures ourselves and question gracefully. We pray for the testimony of the church, but we obey the command to contend for the truth. We pray for each other, but we obey the command to serve each other and to rebuke one another in love. When we do this, we're relying on God to guard the church. And then in the, in the psalm, we look at the third thing that it says there, the third area of vanity, and that's the vanity of anxious toil. The person described here thinks that by getting up early and going to bed late, they'll get all they need. So, does that mean, and some of you may think this is great, I can sleep in every morning. I can go to bed whenever I want and not have to worry about it because I don't need to work because it says here that it's all in vain. Well, no, that's not the point here. Spurgeon uh, says something very helpful. He says, we are bound to be diligent, so we're supposed to work hard. For this the Lord blesses. We ought not to be anxious, for that dishonours the Lord and can never secure his favour. So it's not the work that is condemned. Just like the building and the watching is not condemned. What's condemned is the anxiety. It's the self-dependence. And this happens so easily. In today's society, we see this all the time. Examples... Uh, for example, parents uh, today often don't spend any time with their children because they both have to work all the time to maintain a certain lifestyle. Lots of people have multiple jobs in order to get as much, just to get as much money as possible in order to have more stuff. They're anxious about having more and more. Levels of, of stress due to work are extremely high. And people with worries about money 
are everywhere. It's epidemic. Why is anxious toil in vain? Because it says God grants sleep to those he loves. And there's a play on words here with the words sleep and love. Because the name Solomon uh, is is a word that means peaceable. But Solomon had another name. Another name given to him by Nathan the prophet in 2 Samuel chapter 12. And that name was Jedidiah. So Solomon had two names, Jedidiah and Solomon. And Jedidiah means beloved of God. And he says here in the psalm that God grants sleep or peace, like the name Solomon, to those he loves, like the name Jedidiah. And in 1 Chronicles chapter 22 and verse 9, we read how this was true of Solomon. This was David explaining how, what God said to him. But you will have a son who will be a man of peace and rest. And I will give him rest from all his enemies on every side. His name will be Solomon and I will grant Israel peace and quiet during his reign. It was God through Solomon in naming him uh, to show what he was going to do that gave him peace and quiet during his reign. And during the reign of Solomon there was peace and quiet in Israel. It's up to God to grant us peace. Sometimes um, in my house I pray for peace and quiet a lot and pray that God would, would grant it to me. But it's God that does grant that. John Piper uh, says something uh, really good here. He says, God can perform more good for those who trust him while they sleep than they can perform with anxious labor while awake. And it's true, isn't it? God can do more while we're asleep than when we're running around like crazy, anxious, while we're awake. And Jesus repeats the same lesson in Matthew chapter 6, doesn't he? In verse 27. Can any of you, by worrying, add one cubit to his stature? You know, I'm a a really short person. If I worry, do you think I can get taller? No, that's ridiculous, isn't it? He says in, 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 in that same passage how God watches over the birds of the air and he feeds them, he clothes the flowers How much more then will he feed and clothe his people? We don't need to be anxious. Paul repeats the lesson in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 6. He says, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, make your requests be made known to God. And then what does he say? And the peace of God, which passes understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. We can be anxious, but we need not be. We need to pray, don't we? When we're facing problems that make us anxious, bring them before the Lord. Pray. Bring them to God. Don't do more. Pray that God would do more. Don't do more. Pray that God would do more. Prayer relieves anxiety and shows that we depend on God. But we must also obey the command to work as well as glorify God. And we must think through what we do in terms of work and how long we work and what our motives are for working and bring those before the Lord too. Just uh, consider something for, for a moment. What is the reason that you are working that extra shift? What is the reason why both mum and dad work so that you can't spend time as a family? I'm not saying it's wrong, I'm saying consider, pray, ask God. What what is the reason? Is it because you are anxious or is it because you feel the Lord has called you to do that? Which is fine 
if that's the case. So I'll give an example from my own life. Just to, I don't want people to think that I'm criticizing um, that, that kind of a life. What I'm saying is the Bible says anxiety. If you're doing it for anxiety, it's wrong. In my life, when I first started contracting in IT, I was asking these kind of questions. In contracting, you're away from home, often from Monday to Friday, for weeks and weeks and maybe even months on end. And me and Paula, we felt that I had to leave my other job and we felt that this was what we were supposed to do. We knew when we were getting into it that it would be temporary and we knew when we were getting into it that it was going to be hard and it was going to be difficult. But we prayed, we went and spoke to other believers in our church and we asked them their opinions We really sought the Lord, and the Lord made it clear that I was supposed to go. And eventually, I ended up with my contract in Birmingham, which enabled me to meet the elders here, to come and be part of a home group here. And as we made the decision to move here, it became a whole lot easier because the Lord led us to that particular thing. So it's not wrong, okay? It's not wrong in and of itself, as long as the Lord is the one that is guiding you in that. If you're doing it for anxiety... You're worrying, that is wrong. We have to depend on God. Okay? That's, that, that's important. So if you want to ask me any more about that, then, then do come and ask me afterwards, okay? But if you apply this as well, though, um, on a different point, to salvation, we can say that we can, we, people try and work all they, they like to please God as well, don't they? They, they work, 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 because they're anxious about their salvation. But we know that it's by grace that we're saved. We've just sung grace unmeasured. It's grace, not by works. We don't earn our way to heaven. When we ask God for forgiveness of sins by faith in what Jesus has done, he will save you, okay? So without God, we see that it's all vanity. But the next part of the psalm we see as well as the the vanity of self-dependence, we see the necessity of dependence on God. So let's look at the next uh, few verses. The necessity of dependence on God. It says, Children are a heritage from the Lord, offspring a reward from him. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are children born in one's youth. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They will not be put to shame when they contend with their opponents in court. You know, one of my favourite things I read about this, this verse when I was preparing was someone said, before your children become a quiverful, they are a handful. And I, thought, I said, amen, brother. <laughs> but it is true that they are a treasure, a treasure from the Lord. Unlike the other activities in this psalm, we cannot rely on ourselves completely to have children. Now, obviously, there's something we need to do to have children, to conceive but we know that that's not always successful. There are many people, even people among us today, that are unable to have children. You see, children are from the Lord. They are a gift from him, not a right that we all have. But in applying this verse to its wider meaning, it's not talking just about children to individual couples, but it can be applied to the children of God as well. To the couples that can't have children, I would say this. Children are a gift, a gift from the Lord. They're not the gift from the Lord. God doesn't choose to give all his gifts to everybody. In the Bible, marriage is described as a gift. Singleness is described as well as a gift. But not everybody can have both of those things. You can't be, uh, can't be both 
at the same time. So there's lots of gifts that God gives, but he doesn't choose to give them to everybody. So not having children is not God judging you in any way. He chooses to give his gifts in different ways, in different means. But it's true that they are a gift and they are a heritage from the Lord. But to be applied to the children of God, we can see that we rely on God for his kingdom to grow as well, don't we? So children are God's children, the growth of the church, each other are a heritage from the Lord. And we rely on God completely for that work as we do for physical children. In the same way that there's an act to, to perform, if you like, to have children physically, in God's kingdom, we have to, there's an act for us to perform. We have to share the gospel. And as we share the gospel, God brings forth children. As we sow the seed of the gospel, people come, people respond, people are saved. It's all a work of God, but there is work for us to do as well. And there are three things from the example of children that we see from these verses that help us understand the necessity of depending on God. First of all, we see in verse 3 that they are a privilege. Then we see in verse 4 that they are a responsibility. And then in verse 5, we see that they are a blessing. A privilege, a responsibility, and a blessing. So first of all, they are a privilege or a treasure. Other words are heritage, treasure, reward. And as as I said before, they are a reward, not the reward of God. But what about the children of God? What about the church? Do you, do you see your brothers and sisters in our church, brothers and sisters across the world, as a heritage from the Lord? Because they are. Do you go through the prayer diary, and when you see people, do you say, Lord, I thank you for this person. They are a treasure. They are a treasure from the Lord. Because God's children are a treasure, a gift, a heritage. You know, when we, we see people come into the church that perhaps are a bit rough around the edges, or you meet other believers that don't quite agree with you on every issue, you meet believers that are, are, are irritating sometimes, which, uh, believe it or not, does, does happen, do you look at them and say, you know what, they're a, they're a treasure from the Lord. <laughs> it's hard, isn't it? But they are. God's children are a treasure. And when you see people, other Christians, that you think, oh, you know what, I I really struggle with that person, pray for them. Would you do that? Pray for them. And the first thing you pray is, Lord, this person is a heritage from you. Help me to see that they are a treasure. Help me to love them, to serve them, because children are a heritage from the Lord. But we see in verse 4 that they are a responsibility. They are a gift that you have to do something, something with. It, they're described like arrows in the hand of a warrior. So you have to, with an arrow, um, you, ha- you have to prepare it, you have to aim it, and you have to shoot it. They're not something you can just hold on to and, and, and leave alone. And it's a good description of what we do with our children, isn't it? We, we prepare them for living for life. We try and, and aim them in the, in the right direction. And we just let them fly. We let them go. But when children arrive, they don't come with an instruction manual. I remember when my children were born, I was so excited uh, to, to have this, this, this bundle of joy. And it was always a bundle of joy when you're the dad, because you go home and get a good night's sleep when they're in the hospital for that first night, don't you? And then they come home, and then you don't know what, <laughs> you think, what on earth am I supposed to do with this thing? They don't come with an instruction manual. You have to depend on God, don't you? It's a, it's a, you depend on God in bringing them up. But in terms of the church, we have a responsibility to disciple each other. And as we disciple God's children, they will be the ones 
to guard the pulpit in the future. They're the ones to guard the unity of the church and continue uh, the ministry that we do. You know, when it talks of arrows, it's also an illustration of protection. And later on in the psalm, uh, we see that they contend with their opponents in court. Uh, you know, families that had lots of children were able in court to, to, to have people on their side defending them. And as we disciple God's children, it's a blessing to see them grow. You know, it's been thrilling uh, to be working on, on the camp and to, to, to help in that and, and to see uh, the young people growing in their faith and love of Jesus. And verse 5 tells us that they're a blessing. You know, if someone has a quiverful, they are blessed. Now, does this mean that we should all try for big families? Well, I don't believe that this is a command, but rather a, an acknowledgement that large families are a blessing. In this culture, when this was written, this was true. Um, it, when, if you had a large family, you were seen as blessed by God. In our culture today, um, that's not the case, is it? Many times we see large families as a nightmare from God uh, rather than a blessing from God. But the Bible tells us that a large family is a blessing. And it's a shame, uh, actually, that today large families are often looked down upon rather than uh, lifted up as good examples. But the larger family at the time the psalm was written was not put to shame in court for two reasons. One, they had lots of people on their defense team. And two, they were seen as blessed by God as an, it was an advantage to have children for that reason. But applied to the children of God, who would not deny that it's a blessing to have a large family? How many of you have ever been to someone and said, oh, how, how's it going in the church? And they said, oh, you know what? It's rubbish. People are being saved. You know, oh, it's rubbish. My church is growing. Oh, it's just rubbish that God... Of course we don't do that. We say, praise God, hallelujah. He's working. People are being saved. And it's a blessing, isn't it, to be a part of the large family of God. And it's, you know, a large church um, can, can be a struggle. It has its problems. But at the same time, there are people as well to defend them, protect them, contend for each other for the cause of the kingdom. But we only receive these blessings if we completely depend on God. So these verses, uh, uh, these verses bring about uh, responsibility and blessing. And, they are, and, and, and as the church grows, we see each other as a heritage, as a heritage from God. I wonder, are you depending on God to build the church here in Pelsall? Are you depending on God to build the church in the UK? Maybe a better question would be, do you even care? Do you care if God's kingdom grows or doesn't grow? Are you bothered about reaching out to those that are lost? You know, we ought to realise the immense blessing that salvation is, not just in our own lives, but when that is spread to others as well. We should have a desire, a deep desire to see God's kingdom grow. You know, someone mentioned to me just the other week, you know, we, we, need, to have, uh, we need to have prayer meetings just to pray for the lost. And I, I couldn't agree more, actually. I think we need, to, we need to be more urgent and fervent and passionate and, and desperate in our prayers for those that are lost. We, we really do. We, 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 we can be so apathetic, can't we? We can just, we, we can just not care when their destination is, is, is eternity in hell. It's, it's awful. We need to be pleading with the only one who can rescue them from, from their destination. We, we need to be doing that, brothers and sisters. We need to care. 
We need to share the gospel. But we need to also be involved in ministries that disciple one another. I'm not just talking about Sunday school and children's work. I'm talking about just reading the Bible together. Talking about Jesus with one another. You, you know, just call someone up and say to them, look, can, can we just get together and read the Bible? You know, that's a really good thing to do. That's part of that, that growth that is talked about in this, in this psalm. As arrows in the hands of a warrior, we have each other in, in each other's hands. We need to help each other, share with each other, encourage each other, disciple each other. And this way, when, as we do that, when we face opposition from the world, from the court of the world, if you like, we'll not be put to shame because we're flanked by our brothers and sisters in Christ who will contend with us for the kingdom of God. You know, verses 1 to 3 can seem like bad news, but God is building, God is guarding, God is granting rest, God is blessing his church with more children, and we just have to depend on him to do the work through praying and putting legs on our prayers through obeying. And if we do this, we'll spend our lives not building Lego pirate ships that just go on a shelf and later on get destroyed. We're part of something far greater, part of something amazing, something that lasts for eternity, the Church of Jesus Christ. You know, don't you want to involve your life in something that lasts forever? Do you want to get to the end of your life and look back and think, what a waste of my time that was? No. We want to build our lives on things of God. Give your life to Jesus. Pray over everything. Look at God's word and do what it says. And let's see, as we depend on God in prayer and obedience, what great things our God will do through his people here. You know, we... we, We have a great God, don't we? We have a God who is far greater than we could even imagine. And if we would just pray, if we would just just look at what he tells us to do and just do it, you know, we can't even imagine the great things God will do for us. So let's pray that God would deliver us from apathy. Let's pray that God would deliver us from depending on ourselves for his kingdom to grow. Let's pray that we would be urgent in getting on our knees and begging him to do the work for us. And let's pray that through everything that is done, that God receives the glory. Can we commit to doing that this week? Can we say to each other, let's pray. Can we say to each other, let's do what the Bible says. Can we say to each other, let's work together in the cause of the kingdom of God. I urge you, brothers and sisters, to do this. Because if we want to see God's kingdom grow, if we want to see God's blessing come to us here, we need to be people in prayer, depending on God. Unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labour in vain. Let's not do that. Let's not work in vain. Let's work with the Lord. Let's not just involve him in our plans. Let's get with his programme. Let's pray right now before we sing. Heavenly Father, these words are so powerful to us. Uh, but we recognize they're so hard. We just want to depend on ourselves. We think we can do things in our own strength. But Father, may our confidence, our trust, our hope be only in you. Heavenly Father, I pray if anyone here this morning has a heart that is just closed off and uh, doesn't care 
for you. I pray, Father, that your spirit would open it this morning. Father, I pray that if anyone here is depending on themselves in any way, I pray, Father, that you would show them clearly that they can only depend on you. I pray, Father, for anyone here that is anxious, I pray, Father, that you would cause them to fall to their knees in prayer and recognize that through that comes the peace that passes all understanding. Our Heavenly Father, we depend on you. And we thank you, Father, that you are not a God on whom we cannot depend because you prove yourself again and again and again. Oh, Lord, how foolish we are. How foolish we are to think that we can do anything on our own. Lord, deliver us from that foolishness that we may depend wholly upon you. We pray this through the name of Jesus and for his glory. Amen. Amen. Well, let us respond uh, to God in song. We're going to begin by singing our confidence is in the Lord and then Jesus, my only hope. Let's stand together and sing.